The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is at eye level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. and of the third season of Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, uh, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Uh, so tonight, Full Moon Rising, uh, kicking off his career as a lowly production assistant under Roger Corman. Dave Dakota went on to film uh, dozens of films for Full Moon, and it's all shoot torchlight pictures throughout the 80s and 90s, before establishing his own homoerotically oriented Rapid Heart Pictures. Charles Band continued his father's theatrical tradition, enlisting his brother for soundtrack composition, and establishing first his own Charles Band Productions, then the even more successful Empire Pictures, and finally the label he's best known for, which is Full Moon. With a history of highly entertaining films produced on a low budget with aesthetic values and quirky concepts that belie their financial origins, Band produced and directed over 100 films between his late 70s debut and the early millennium, and remains active in more of a niche, rather unfull moon-like market to this day. So join us as we talk the rise and fall of Charles Band, Empire, and Full Moon, plus his most consistent and consistently entertaining attributor, Dave Dakota, only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. So uh, I'm Doc Savage. With me is my co-host, Louis Paul. And speaking of music, we were just discussing uh, a show that he was at last night. So <laughs> did you want to pick up from there? Or? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw David Gilmore, you know, Pink Floyd. Duh. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen – I saw Floyd uh, actually in Yankee Stadium. Everybody knows what Yankee Stadium is, home of the Yankees. And, um, the original or the new one? <laughs> oh, no, the original. Oh, that's better, yeah. The original, Roger Waters is still there. You know, and that was the last time I had seen any Floydian person. And so, uh funny thing was the show sold out, <laughs> like, immediately after it was announced. And I guess some people turned in tickets, and so, like, two weeks ago, or thereabouts, I, like, do-do-do-do, right before we met, maybe two and a half weeks ago. And, oh, look, there's, like, six seats on the floor that I bought one. And um, 
It was great. I mean, they had this, just like Pink Floyd, he carried over the big, giant, cylindrical screen and uh, very Gerard Scarf kind of weird stuff to look at while the band's playing. And the band's a bunch of anonymous sidemen. But Phil Manzanero from Roxy Music is is, uh, is nice. in uh, the group with him. Yeah. Kind of very understated playing there, but uh, you know, it, it, the first act was uh, it was like a first set, and uh, it was pretty good. Uh, Wish You Were Here was a highlight, of course, and then we had a couple other things. And then the second stuff was all Floyd, uh, second act, and it was just like, wow. And you know what? I haven't been on the floor for a while, and I guess such an immediate contact high, man, Fucking amount of pot smoke. <laughs> Crazy. So is, Crazy. did that influence what you were trying to tell me about Astronomy Dominate before? What happened with that one? Oh, yeah. That that uh, yeah that was probably the best version I've ever heard of that. I mean, it was so good. The whole place just, I mean, the, I think the roof blew off the garden. <laughs> uh, I was like, wow, that was really, really good. Yeah, because, you know, if you're familiar with, with, with David Gilmore, a lot of his stuff is very understated. He was mm-hmm. pretty much after Sid died, the, the the lead voice. You know, Roger Waters wrote a lot of songs, but his voice wasn't as good as as, as Gilmore's. Uh, you know, or let's say as tuneful. You know, uh, Dave plays a lot in A, like Jerry Garcia, matter of fact. Yeah. And, um, he, so and he sings a lot in A. So you know you're very familiar with that kind of sound. I mean, you, like you hear any David Gilmore song, "Comfortably Numb" is one. "Wish You Were Here" is another. Um, which they did both last night. But uh, you know they very rarely do Sid Barrett ever stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the astronomy, the mind was just so incredible last night. I was like, wow. You ever heard the Voivod <laughs> version? <laughs> Voivod yes, covered that I back did. in '87. I, I love that. Did. Yeah, yeah. I was a big fan of those guys. I was a big fan. Really? I was a big punk. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I knew I that. Big, yeah. I had no idea what the metal parts are. Yes, yes. One day we will, we we must raid my my '45 collection, which is stored away. Uh, I I have lots of unusual stuff. <laughs> As do I. But yes. uh, I'm curious what you got. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anyway, we're here tonight to talk about uh, Band and Full Moon. So basically, uh, Charlie Band was the son of director-producer Albert Band, uh, who had done a couple of films later on for him. Uh, originally, he was uh, involved with I Bury the Living. And, you know, I'm sure anybody out there knows uh, 50s cult, um, not just sort of sci-fi, but that, that sort of 50s horror thing. Uh, is familiar with that one. That's a pretty good freaking movie, actually. It is, it, you know, considering there's really nothing happening and it's all sort of in your head, and almost like a Twilight Zone episode. It's pretty creepy. It works. Um, considering it's Richard Boone, yeah. <laughs> right, that's another story. But uh, he was involved with uh, Hercules and the Princess of Troy, also known as Hercules versus the Sea Monster. Uh, he was involved with Dracula's yeah, because dog. It, right, okay. because I think Albert Albert bounced around between working in Italy and working here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which yeah. we'll get to in a minute because uh, there's a story behind that as well. Uh, okay. So he was involved with Dracula's Dog, which was uh, an old favorite of mine, a TV favorite. Uh, and yes, 
And then he did a couple of things uh, basically for his son, you know, Ghoulies 2, Dr. Mordred, which I always loved, and uh, Robert Wars. And that was pretty much, you know, all of note that he was involved with that, you know, that we would care about. Uh, but uh, he's also the brother of the, the composer Richard Band, who, of course, once again, he tapped to score a whole hell of a lot of Full Moon productions. Um he first created his own company, but then more importantly, we really started moving when he did Empire Pictures. Uh, and he was, as you mentioned, since bounced back and forth between uh, here and Italy, he was headquartered in Rome. So uh, in the early 80s, uh, you probably already know those of you who are around for that kind of stuff. Uh, Empire was uh, involved with Wizard Video. That's why now when you see band puts up these, quote, grindhouse things that are – they really look like they're off VHS. They're sourced off VHS. That's what it is. It's the old wizard ones that uh, he had worked with them on. I guess he got the catalog from them somehow. Um, and, and, and apparently they are they are freaking sourced off of VHS, though. You can tell. You can tell. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, yeah, they, which is crazy. I mean, even the much maligned um, – what the hell is his name? The guy who runs Trauma. Um Oh, Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman, yeah. Lloyd Kaufman gets a lot of shit sometimes in the mastering or alleged remastering of his pictures. But um, I have to say, uh, yeah, some of the stuff is is, is watchable. You know, and, and if you've had the big box or recall the big box, watching the big box uh, videos from, from Wizard, and I've said on shows in the past uh, on this on this weird scenes. That uh, a lot of them I saw were were pretty good, pretty colorful, and then some of them are suspect. But you, it it looks like a lot of the full moon DVDs coming out lately are. Uh, it looks like I don't know what the hell they're shooting them off screen like the old days. Yeah, no. it amazes me because when you think about it, with all the companies people complain about, you know, people complain about whatever Code Red or whoever. Nine times out of ten, the only VHS sources I've seen on DVD were either on those big box things that BCI used to put up before they went to Clips, you know, when they're like Brentwood and they're putting out like, you know, 50 movies on a, on a set or whatever the hell. And Video Asia, who's I think long gone. Mia, who I think is also long gone. They became 1-7 and then they ran into some problems. Uh, and that's really it except for Ban putting out these grindhouse things. And he actually comes on screen and supposedly apologizes for it, but, you know, it's kind of uh, like crocodile tears, if you will. Um... But anyway, the point is that uh, afterwards, there was some kind of thing to do with the, the exchange rate or the economy. I don't know what the hell happened, but Empire closed down around 89, and that's probably why all those Empire pictures are now coming out on Shout Factory. They seem to have bought out that entire back catalog there. Uh, so Ben came back to L.A., and he started up Full Moon, and that's where most people know him from. Uh, a lot of people, including myself for a long time, kind of wonder what the hell was going on because you know the early full moon stuff we all had really fond memories of it uh i've gotten a lot of them back on dvd uh and most of them were really you know for what they are they're very entertaining you know it's uh, kind of like skinamax or hbo late night uh or even usa up all night sort of uh video horror entertainment and like i mentioned in the opening they have better uh aesthetics they look better uh they feel better they feel like they were done with bigger budgets and yet they're just you know cheapo uh dash them off kind of jobs but they're very entertaining they feel like a real movie in a way uh but then later on like stuff he's doing like fucking the gingerbread man and evil bong and all this crap what the hell this stuff is crap it's not even funny uh so here's what happened 
apparently from 89 to 94, which is when the stuff was good, Full Moon was working exclusively through Paramount Home Video. So I'm gathering Paramount through them some measure of money and, you know, whatever kind of backing, you know, to get certain people involved or, you know, here's a good location for you or whatever it is. And that's almost directly the you can, you can draw the line there because from 94 on, Full Moon went independent. And right about, you know, 95, there's this huge cutoff. And all of a sudden you stop getting, you know, Dave Dakota type films like we'd be talking about. And you start getting shit like I just talked about, like Evil Bong or whatever. Uh, and so we'll get to that along the way. But that's the reason. So anybody else who is confused why Full Moon sucks ass now, that's why. <laughs> so um, just uh, one of the sidelines he had put through, there wasn't a hell of a lot from them. Uh, and these actually are all Dave Dakota films. It was Torchlight Pictures or Torchlight Entertainment. And the thing with this was when they were doing pretty well, this is already up the mid-90s, uh, Charlie went to him and said, you know, let's do a line that's more – TNA based, not like the stuff he's doing nowadays. It's not like you know stripper pole hookers or whatever the hell you know, the kind of crap he puts out. Uh, you see him in the five dollar bins. You don't even want to buy him there. Uh, but you know he put out things that you might recognize from at least USA Up All Night, that sort of thing, like Beach Babes from Beyond, Test Tube Teens from the year two thousand, which had Morgan Fairchild in it, which was amusing. Uh, Beach Babes Two, Cave Girl Island. Um, you have about six or seven films. One of them I really liked. This actually feels more like a full moon picture, which was Huntress Spirit of the Night. And uh, we'll get to some of these as we go. Um, but that was it really for Torchlight. It really was kind of a sideline. And I think the entire line was Dave Dakota. I think that was his line that he gave him uh, just kind of to break off. And I don't know, maybe just here, see, see how this runs. And then after it worked out, he, I guess, got the idea to go off and do his own stuff like Rapid Heart. Um, so let's see. This list I've got here is just kind of going through the filmography and going backwards. So I'm going to try to find the beginning <laughs> while I flip through these pieces of paper here. Uh, just for the whole uh, deal here. Let's see. What is this? Oh, yeah. There's Dakota by himself. All right. So, um, Charlie well, Band Productions, which is before Empire. Go ahead. See what you're going to say. Well, uh, yeah, this is. It's 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 not as bad as just Franco. It's it's a bit of no. an unwieldy stuff, but um, that's where we got to kind of scale around. But, yeah, yeah, the Charles Band stuff. I mean, you know, he's uneven. You know, <laughs> what can yeah. I say? Yeah. But the things I, I, I want to cherry pick. I'm going to throw out titles: Reanimator, a a yes. movie that when you see it the first time blows you away and possibly a few more times. But I've learned that as time goes on, as time goes by, um, <laughs> the animator doesn't sustain itself anymore, which is a problem with a lot of these movies they did. Um, yeah. They date, well, not date as in, well, it's very peculiar to this time period. Not that kind of dating. I'm talking about they don't age well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I still enjoy it, but it's not as much of it. I remember when I saw it, that was one of the three or four films, that Hellraiser, and I think uh, maybe Dead Alive or something, that just kind of blew my mind because it was so gross and gory, and they had like weird senses of humor, and I was just like, what the fuck am I watching? It may have been Evil Dead was the other one, uh, and it it almost like traumatized you at the time because there's nothing like it out there on the market. 
And nowadays you watch it and you've seen so much stuff that's gone so much further. And it's almost just like, it's not charming. It's not, it's just kind of like, well, yeah, I guess this worked at one time, but I, I can see why I liked it then, but I don't really care much now. <laughs> so I, I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Another one was Trancers with the with the fantastic Tim Thomas and the guy, the guy, the guy steals that movie, and uh, I, I enjoyed that movie so much. Uh, I did see it years later afterwards, and I still enjoyed it. I saw it recently, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I've got a different opinion. But, we'll, we'll get there as we go. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Rawhead Rex, which was a field WTF movie. You know, that was supposed to be a Clyde Barker. It's based on a Clyde Barker short story. I, I actually have a soft spot for that because it's so insane. And then, you know, from there you can pick around. I always, and I still do, like Breeders from 86. Yes. Um, yeah, all those, uh, who was that fella? He was actually uh, Joe Gage, uh, a gay porn director, and he changed his name. Joe Gage. Tim Kincaid. Tim Kincaid, that's the name he goes by. Tim and Kincaid, he made about yes. five or six really entertaining films that kind of skirt horror and straight sex, mind you. There's no, like, intimations of gay sex in it. Uh, they don't work in a lot of ways, but they're fun for it. It's definitely like the, kind of like a cult party movie, you know, like a Code Red kind of a film. You, you bring your friends over, uh, have a couple beers, and you're gonna enjoy the shit out of it. Uh, but it's in the light of day, it's like, wow, that was a horrible movie. Uh, so yeah, we'll get to him as well because th- those were fun. You're right, Breeders is a good one. Breeders is a good one, and also because it has a uh, I forgot her name, Teresa. What you want call it? I forgot her last name. Yeah, I forgot. she was like a Vanessa Del Rio. Uh, look-alike, actually. And yeah. she, she plays the heroine in the movie, uh, a nurse. And um, She's not as beefy as Del Rio, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought she was even more gorgeous. She was a beautiful yes. woman. And um, it's a very strange, low-budget movie, but actually has the creepiness and the eeriness working for it in a way that I was like, I, I still like this movie. It's so nuts. It is. Um, it's it's vaguely yeah, I, like the original Chud, but better than that in a way. Oh, yeah. It's better than Chud, yeah. Cheaper, uh, too. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, b- before they even did Empire, way back with Charles Band Productions, he was, you know, licensing things, doing stuff like weird things, uh, like End of the World with Christopher Lee and Sue Lyon in it. Or um, some that actually were decent. You know, Day of Time ended, all right, who cares? But Laser Blast, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like it. But I grew up watching that. Around the time it came out, it was already on TV within like a year or two. And I'm like, how wow, that really freaked me out. It's like, a, you know, because I was pretty young. I'm like, what the fuck is this all about? And he turned into the alien monster, basically. And he's got the thing on his arm, blowing everything away. And uh, the whole trip with the doctor trying to get it off his arm. And he can't, or the, the medallion that buried itself in his chest. And he can't get it out. And yeah, it was really yeah. freaky. Uh, a lot of people hate it because, a lot of people hate it because it's cheap special effects. And, you know, it's, it's almost like a um, there was a lot of teen not sex comedies but sort of um, things like the van if you remember the van uh, yeah. movies like that or super van or whatever that were kind of the teacher um, they were sort of somewhere between a comedy a melodrama and just you know like a JD film from the seventies and that's what this film was except. For the spaceship land, the guy picks up this stupid weapon uh, or the, the jewel. He becomes this alien monster, and it kind of changes back and forth at random. And from being this sort of like okay, you know, teenager outsider having trouble with the girls, getting pushed around by a bunch of you know jocks or whatever the hell, starts getting his revenge to being this weird. Um, 
and of course depressing because he, at the end he has to die and the whole deal. Uh, you know, sci-fi drama horror type thing. Uh, really, it, at the age I was, it was extremely affecting, and I still enjoy it to this day. I still like the movie, uh, but you know, people do have issues with it. And, and it's got some interesting people, and Keenan wins in it. Uh, Roddy McDowell is in the damn thing as the Doctor. Uh, Cheryl Rainbow Smith, who people made a big uh, icon out of because she died young, uh, pretty uh, waifish blonde girl. Uh, she popped up in weird stuff like uh, she was in Lamora Lady Dracula and the Cheerleaders and things like that. Um, the side porn. <laughs> and Eddie Deason, uh, who becomes a uh, USA Night type uh, person later on, um, he's, he was kind of like the uh, what the hell was that guy's name? Uh, Arnold Stang of the of the later you know the eighties and nineties. Um, but you had Taurus Trap was one with Chuck Connors and Tanya Roberts of all people in it. Uh, people still remember this one as being a fairly effective slasher. Um, Auditions, which was an interesting one that was uh, he kind of has a lot of porn stars in it uh, like Bill Margold and Ronnie Joe Petty and Rick Lutz, uh, Rick Cassidy uh, but then you've got you know people that are not like Linnea Quigley uh, and it was some weird thing about you know casting actually casting for a porn film but they never show anything in it. Uh, Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, a lot of people have fond memories of that. That's a Tim Thomason job with uh, Richard Maul from Night Court and Kelly Preston, who became uh, Mrs. Uh, John Travolta and also did uh, Spellbinder. Um, That was was in 3D, too. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, it was. But that was really it for that company, uh, where he really kind of made his name before Full Moon was with Empire Pictures. And again, a lot of these things are coming out through uh, Shout Factory of late, so you see them constantly. Some of them are still you know, technically Full Moon territory, like Puppet Master, which he made into a whole freaking series. Uh, the first one or two weren't bad, though. I mean, actually, the first one from 89 had Irene Miracle from Inferno, Barbara Crampton, who was in, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Reanimator before, and uh, From Beyond, things like that, uh, Paul Lamatt. Basically, um, the story of the, the whole Puppet Master series, you know, there were a whole bunch of twists and turns to try to do because they made like 10 of these damn things. Uh, but the first, you know, a couple are pretty good. Basically, this old Jewish Mary, uh, alchemist back during World War II or whatever, he brings a bunch of marionettes to life. Uh, and when the Nazis come after him, he basically kills himself and, you know, hides away. And. But the puppets are still there waiting for whatever. And then they, for some reason, they started bringing a bunch of psychics into his house where he died. And, of course, the puppets come back to life. And originally, they're like the bad guys, and they start killing people off. And that's how they are for the first two, I think. And then after a while, they form some psychic link with some teenage kid. And all of a sudden, they become the good guys. And so it's really – it's a strange series. And a lot of it was kind of predicated on the weirdness of these little puppets and trying to make them like horror or you know, whatever. It's like Freddy Krueger, I guess, or Chucky. Uh, but, you know, I do enjoy the first few of these films very much. They still do hold up. Um, well, the, he did a, and, and the Puppet Master in the, in the first picture and, and the flashbacks in the second one was Guy Rolf, Mr. Sardonicus himself. Yes, that's uh, true. Which is, you know, yeah, if anybody's ever seen Mr. Sardonicus, uh, you know, it's a great movie. If you're not, you should really see it. Um, I think number four was... Probably the last good one in that series. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, once you start getting up to five and six. Yeah. Was it uh, the Axis or the Evil or whatever the hell? Those are like, terrible. But the original couple are all pretty good. Um, he did Arena, which again, I think came out of one of those sets from uh, Shout. Um, 
Paul Satterfield actually is in this thing, uh, as a short order cook in, in the space. It's, just, it's a cheap sci-fi type thing, and they end up bringing it into um, almost like Blood Fist Ring of Fire territory where it's like uh, instead of kickboxing or MMA type thing, it's you know, you're fighting off aliens. Uh, there is – he's got like a, a pal who's kind of like a Billy Barty type, but he's got like several arms because he's an alien uh, that's like, trying to be his uh, manager or whatever because he blows the money. All this crap happens. Um, there's some interesting people in it though, like Shari Shattuck, who was a big deal for a while in these kind of uh, TNA films, uh, kind of like – like I said, like Cinemax type films. Um, she's like the nightclub singer who the baddie that's trying to get him to work for him. Uh, he uses her to seduce him. And of course, yeah, I listened to one podcast one time and they were laughing about it. like, yeah, you know she's got to be bad because she's got like you know Susie Sue makeup on and <laughs> and she's hot to trot. They automatically makes her evil. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's a decent film. And Ken Clark is in it, uh, who you know from uh, stuff like uh, Night of Living Dead and whatever. Um, Doctor Alien is like pretty bad. Uh, it's a, it's actually one of the Dakota films. Uh, it was also released under I was a teenage sex mutant, if you remember that title, uh, which I think is the way they had it on like one of those things like uh, Up All Night or whatever. Um, but Judy Landers, who was at the time strangely popular, I don't know why, bubble-headed blonde. Uh, and she on TV? Yeah, I feel like she was on like The Price is Right or some sitcom or something. I don't know. Maybe she was on Bosom yeah, Buddies. Yeah. You can talk about that a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, Julie, she, she had a bosom. So, you know. Oh, yeah, she did. Well, that was, yeah. That's kind of a given there with these kind of things. But uh, Ghoulies and Ghoulies 2. Ghoulies 2 was definitely on part pictures. Uh, I just remember Wasp, the metal band, that did Scream Until You Like It, and they had made a video out of that, and that was like the big deal. Um, that and the original poster where you had the ghoulie coming out of the toilet was just like, wow, they're really kind of going lowbrow in their quest to copy the success of Gremlins here. But, you know, the first one or two are actually kind of enjoyable. And I think later on you get uh, Ghoulies 4 was by uh, – it's a Corman regular who does all those crappy, uh, usually the uh, barbarian-type films. Um, Wynarski. Jim Wynarski, that's it. Uh, he did uh, four on this, which was so low rent. I think there's like three people in the cast, but I liked it because the girl was kind of hot and going around in like leather and shit the whole time. It's <laughs> like a witch or something, like trying to get her cop boyfriend. Um, so, but you know, the Ghoulie films are questionable. I remember three was ridiculous. The Ghoulies go to college. It's like, well, it's practically just a comedy. Um, but another good one that did, and again, it came out on one of those shout sets that I reviewed for uh, Third Eye. Uh, a while back, the catacombs. Uh, I really liked that one. It was kind of a failed, almost like an Italian, um, not gothic, but kind of like the stuff they were doing around the film mirage era, uh, with a little bit of that Fulci-esque eeriness to it. Uh, basically, it's got Timothy Van Patten, friggin' Salami from The White Shadow, and you know the the partner from The Master. And some girl that I thought was kind of hot, some redhead named Laura Schaefer. Uh, but I understand from the director, you know, he did a commentary at one point, says, oh, God, she's impossible to work with. <laughs> uh, she popped up like two things. She's in Ghost Town as well for these guys. Uh, but it really kind of works well. They go up into Italy, and there's this group of monks there. And you know, there's this whole thing underneath the temple. You know, they, they go into the catacombs, basically, like the title says. And they get, you know, there's like a spirit that they let free. And it's typical for these kind of Italian Gothic uh, whatevers of that period. Uh, but it's enjoyable. Uh, definitely not what you would expect from something from Charlie Band. 
Um, you know, Assault of the Killer Bimbos. That was another ridiculous one. Basically a comedy with Eddie Deason. And Elizabeth Kaitan, who pops up in a lot of these things later on. Uh, Cellar Dweller was on the same set, I think, with Catacombs. Uh, that had Jeffrey Combs and Yvonne DiCarlo in it. Uh, but only in bit parts, so I'll say that. That was a ridiculous thing. It was kind of like Evil Tunes, where this uh, this art piece comes to life of like a demon. It's really cheap and silly, but it was enjoyable. And one of my all-time favorite crappy up-all-night type movies, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama, which was oh, a Dave Dakota film. I love this yeah. friggin' film. I must have seen this film about 40 times. <laughs> I can't really? tell you how many times it well, it was a lot of times. I saw it with like, several different people, and it would always be like a party thing. Like, hey, why don't you pull out sorority babes again? Uh, so I've seen it many, many times, more than I like to admit. So it probably was like, who knows, 25, 30 times. Uh, Brinky Stevens, Michelle Bauer, uh, Linnea Quigley, uh, and basically a bunch of nobodies after that. Uh, there's a fellow named Andres Jones, who I think was also in Shock 'em Dead. Uh, <laughs> Really weird frat boy sort of comedy, but then it really goes into like left field when they go into a bowling alley on like a you know basically on a, a sorority prank or whatever the hell, and some of these guys get involved because they're perverts and whatever. That was part of their punishment; they had to go with the, the sorority pledges, and they run into Linnea. They're just breaking into the register in the bowling alley, and. They unleash this imp from the from the uh, a bowling trophy, and of course right. Buck Flower is the janitor there, George Buck Flower, uh, and this little dwarf monster thing, which kind of I don't know. Uh, I remember Gilbert Goffrey saying he looked like Gumby, <laughs> you know, this goofy little puppet basically. And it's got Dookie Flysorter's voice, another guy who popped up in a lot of stuff around that time. And those of you from L.A., he was in Haunted Garage, which is kind of like a, a comedy, uh, psychobilly type thing that was going around at that time on the club circuit. And, you know, it's just so over the top and stupid and funny. And, you know, of all those like Scream Queen movies, especially where you've got like the three of them together, uh, which was always like Brinkley Stevens and uh, Quigley and Bauer. Uh, this was definitely by far the best of them and by far my favorite. Uh, very entertaining, very stupid, loads of fun. Um, <laughs> well, very go ahead. Very stupid. Yeah, no, it it was. It's that kind of movie. Um, if he did uh, – well, not he did, but Spellcaster was also out at that time. I don't know why this has not come out yet. I always got a kick out of it. It's a really bad movie featuring Adam Ant, uh, and they go out to this castle in Italy – and, you know, I remember like a chair came to life and ate somebody. It's really stupid and cheap and very much a full moon type movie. Uh, but for some reason still has not seen the light of day since the VHS days. I would love to get that out there. If any of you are listening that are involved in this kind of stuff, shout or full moon or whoever, get this fucking thing out already. We need this. It's, it's worthwhile. Um, Intruder, they were involved with that stupid thing. People love it. I don't know why. It was the Sam Raimi slasher, um, and it had you know Bruce Campbell in it as well. It's probably why they like it, but it was bad. I mean, it's amusing because it is in a supermarket, but otherwise it's a bad slasher. Uh, but everybody loves it for some reason. Grotesque. Well, uh, which is well you know, one. that's that's a really interesting thing. You brought that up because that was supposed that guy was supposed to be the director. It was supposed to be the next big thing. <laughs> and they were yeah, counting that picture before it came out, remember? And uh, Gore Zone, remember the Pangoria short lived uh, mm-hmm. one off? Yes, it is. And Fango itself, and uh, just like every fanzines. I don't think I ever counted that picture too much. Because I remember I saw it and I fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah, same here. 
I was like, everyone's like a big deal out of it. I was really into slasher films at the time, and it was kind of in the middle of my collecting them. And I'm like, this is one of the most lousy. I mean, it wasn't one of the worst I've seen in terms of production values. It was just, I hate it the most of, you know, not all of them that I've seen to this day. Cause I've seen a lot of them, but it's down there. It's down near the bottom. Well, uh, you know, I'm so eclectic. It's like my my music taste. I'm so eclectic, and my film tastes are very eclectic, as you were learning. Yes. But, <laughs> yes, but um, come on, give me fucking Disney films, dude. <laughs> like I'm gonna watch that. I what is it, man? Come on, either watch. If you, I figured. Well, if he hasn't seen it, maybe he'll watch it. Die, throws it out. Um, but um, you have to broaden the scope. But the point is, don't don't don't, don't derail me. The point is, um, there are just some things I, I just see, and right away I see them as, ugh. I mean. I don't know the guy. I'm taking a, a, a side turn here, but you know, uh, the movie we were just talking about. Yeah, reminds me so much of the Van, of the Van Bieber type of pictures. Yeah, that'd be a dawn. That whole thing. Yep, but they um, may be better, which is sad. <laughs> yeah, I I I I love the guy's pose. Uh, um, um, I yeah, I don't want to get into it right now. Yeah. Stuff. I'm not a fan but, of him. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to kind of go there right now. I have a <laughs> private conversation about this. Yeah. But um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Nah, it doesn't. It doesn't the wrong way. Yeah, you know? I'm surprised yeah. Sam Raimi actually got involved with this. Yeah, I mean, it's not a Raimi kind of film. It doesn't feel like uh, an Evil Dead or a Dark Man or anything that he was doing around that time. No, uh, he knew the guy. I think he grew up with them, maybe. So I don't know. Yeah. But in either case, I think I'm correct in saying that Scott Spiegel, that was him, right? Correct? Yep, Scott Spiegel. Yep. I, think, I think Scott Spiegel was supposed to be like the next big fucking thing. And the thing was, it took him years to finish his picture. <laughs> like going back, 8mm, Super 8, 16, some, some 35 when available. I don't know. Maybe Scott Spiegel could do some work on TV. Maybe people helped him out at some point, but he never became like the guy we thought he was. Yep. Even though we didn't like the movie, it's like William Deere. Uh, people familiar with that name, he made probably the only good episode of Steven Spielberg's short-lived Amazing Stories. Oh, I hated that show. Um, yeah, The Mummy something. And oh, that was decent. It was a lot 69 yeah. or something, yeah. Yeah, it was so a year, and you you think that something else was going to happen, and nothing ever did. Uh, you know, these people just disappeared. You know, yeah. And like I said, to this day, people go, oh, Intruder, it's so great. Like, no, it's not. I mean, if you're a star yeah. fucker, you really want to see Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell in a non-Evil Dead role uh, around that same time. There you go. And it's not horrible, I guess. But it's really one of the least entertaining, most um, – the vibe is kind of icky. It's just a wrong-feeling slasher. I don't like it at all, uh, even though I really get a kick out of the setting. Okay, it's in a supermarket. It's weird. But nah, it just doesn't work. Well, you know, the thing is, the thing is, I, I, I think – wow, you uh, – I, I wanted to interject here. The thing is, when you got these kind of pictures and they, touch, they get really close to real life – yeah, yeah. Then it gets it gets debatable on the, as far as the entertainment value and yeah, how you exactly. see it. 
That's the yeah. thing. I've, I've told people for years, it's like, I don't give a shit about watching zombies rip somebody's head off and pull their eyes out and all crap. It's a fucking zombie. It's not real. But once you get to, like, you know, a necrophagia video, all of a sudden I'm like, nah, I don't want to see this. This is just making me sick. <laughs> this could happen. This is yeah, yeah. Or, or so not job. So nut job with the arsenal all holding up a, a very large uh, supermarket like one of our big, you know, BJ's or Costco places and, mm-hmm. and slaughtering people, you know, because you know the shit happened. Yep, so exactly. It's like, well, I don't th- why would I watch this? You know? Exactly, unless you're trying <laughs> back, to get something back vicariously. Back then it wasn't as common as it is today, so it's another case. Uh, unless of, you're yeah. trying to get something out vicariously, which is another problem. Uh, I don't see any reason to watch something like that. It's just kind of like, nah. It's like torture porn. I don't want to deal with this shit. It's disgusting. But and yet I'll watch like you know Fulci movies and have no problem with Batman eyelash, uh, including New York Ripper, which was fun for some reasons. Uh, but anyway, uh, grotesque. I had mentioned uh, also on one of those sets, Linda Blair. It's actually one of her more watchable films. Uh, they go out into the mountains. They have a a brother that's like you know like a retarded monster kind of a thing. Uh, but it still feels kind of like I don't know. Maybe it's the atmosphere, and it's the fact they're sort of isolated out there in these snowy mountains and this you know uh, crappy little house that they've got like a cabin. But I still thought it worked pretty well despite that. And uh, Robert Zadar is one of the guys, and so is Tab Hunter, which is weird. Um, let's see. Here's one of the uh, Tim Kincaid films, Mutant Hunt. I think that was actually his first uh, his first straight film, anyway. Uh, which. I like it the least of the Tim Kincaid films, I'll say that, because uh, he did about five or six of them. And Mutant Hunt is definitely down towards the bottom of those. Uh, but, you know, it's still entertaining enough. I do enjoy his films that he did that way. Uh, what else was there? Prison, which, again, people make a big deal out of. Uh, Rennie Harlan directed the damn thing with Viggo Mortensen. Uh, and, of course, it was set uh, shot on a, the set of a real prison. But I did not like it at all. It came out from Shout Factory recently. I'm like... Yeah, I should have got that a lot cheaper. <laughs> and I got it cheap in the first place. It should have been like, you know, less than half the price that I paid for it. Um Creepazoids was another one. That's another uh, one that comes out in his grindhouse thing, not very good. Uh but Linnea Quigley and Ashlyn Gear, the porn star, and Ken Abraham, who's in all the Rick Sloan Vice Academy films. If you ever want to hear a really funny interview, uh listen to the one I did with Rick Sloan on Third Eye Cinema. It's worth uh, digging up. Um he's a great guy and there was really some funny stories going down. Uh especially about like Ginger Lynn and <laughs> it's worth listening to, let's put it that way. Uh from wow. beyond you we mentioned uh, another Stuart Gordon one. In a lot of ways, I actually still like this one better than Reanimator, but it's debatable. You know, they're both fun for different reasons, and both have Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, and also the guy who played the Doctor, Ken Gale. Uh, Ken Foray's in this one, too. Um, Crawl Space was one of them, that crappy Kinski movie, which I think was the last thing he ever did, where he was like a, a Nazi, I don't know what the hell, Nazi doctor or something, living in some apartment building, torturing people. It, it was icky. Another one, it's like, eh. Um, yeah, it's a very strange Kinski movie too. I think it's the one that had the Talia Baltham in it. Um, mm-hmm. The bos- the bosomy twin of Talia Shire. Uh, <laughs> just just because you needed to know that, and um, a bunch of other anonymous people we've long since forgotten. And Klaus is watching, I guess, sixteen millimeter prints with his private library of Hitler. Yep. And he's renting a house. He's kind of like the weird, perverted kind of like landlord guy. 
But he has all these crawl spaces and you know alleys and all kinds of shit, and he spies and he peeps on everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's Klaus Kinski, but you know <laughs> who else is in this movie? There's a male figure, a uh, slumming guy. Might be Martin Balsam, which might maybe he is. Might I don't be. know. Uh, uh, in any case, yeah, it's. It, I think it is Klaus's last picture because he was living here at the time now. Yes. And uh, was that still when he yeah. was married to that hot girl that was? Um, we talked about her the other day. She was in the uh, Pinto Brass movie. Uh, she was in Paprika, and then she wound up in uh, Kinski Paganini. And uh, is that Zebra Capri? Capri? Yes, Capriol. Capri- Capri- yes, exactly. Uh, very, very attractive young girl. Uh, very well endowed in many respects. And. Uh, <laughs> and Kinski's uh, wife or squeezed during that time period, uh, which is hard to believe. Which you saw how Kinski was at that point, especially. Um, but anyway, uh, Breeders was another one, which again you mentioned earlier with Tim Kincaid. Um, okay. We already kind of discussed that one, but it's loads of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robot Holocaust, which I don't think has ever been on DVD here. Uh, also, it's you know, Joe Gage, right? Yeah. No, well, it's Tim Kincaid, yeah, same thing. It's, it is Joe Gaze, just his straight films that he did under that name. Uh, what else? You mentioned, you mentioned Reanimator. Rage War, which is out on one of those sets I mentioned before, is the Dungeon Master. Doesn't work in a lot of respects, but very much a time capsule of its period. And it gave him a chance to show a lot of different, uh, give like you know, three or four different directors chances to do little pieces. Like, here's a vignette. Okay, now he's going to fight Fulci type zombies. And now he's going to fight, you know, he's, he's a futuristic one. And here's a whatever. It's kind of like that movie Nightmares, which also came out recently, but better, better than Nightmares. Except for you don't get all the great punk music in that one scene. Is that uh, the one with the guy from Night Court? Yes, right. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's Richard Balls in this thing. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, you mentioned Ghoulies. You, you sort of mentioned Trancers. I like the Trancers films at least before they started doing the two-parters when he went in you know, Fantasyland or whatever the hell. The first two or three were actually pretty good. Uh, again, t- Tim Thomerson is in the future, and he gets sent back uh, through time basically to stop somebody. And uh, I think – who the hell was involved? Was it Kay Lenz or something? Uh, there, there's oh Helen Hunt, that's who it was. Helen Hunt before yeah. she gets famous for that stupid show she did uh, was that uh, not Mad About the House or was that Mad About You? Uh, she was doing these uh, Transfers movies and you know they were pretty good for what they are. Uh, I definitely still enjoy them, but like you said, you don't think they hold up. And that was basically it for Empire. So around '89, he just kind of conked out and went for uh, he made his own company, which is Full Moon. And this is – he'd already started working with Dakota. You know, he did uh, Dream Maniac on his own, which is some uh, – like an SOV almost. Uh, very, it actually was an SOV now I'm thinking about it. Weird. I don't really like it much, but okay. Creepazoids, again, questionable. Sorority Babes, I love. Nightmare Sisters, which is kind of a follow-up to that. Brought the three screen queens together again. But it's a bad movie. It's a fun bad movie, but it's a bad movie. Um Let's see, uh, Murder Weapon. He actually directed a lot of films uh, because those of you who haven't already figured out, yes, Dave Dakota is gay, so what? Uh, but he did a lot of films under the pseudonym of Ellen Cabot. So if you've ever seen an Ellen Cabot film, that's really Dave Dakota. Um, he had other pseudonyms as well, uh, Victoria Sloan, and I don't know what the hell else he has. Uh, we'll probably run across them as we get there. Um, let's see. Uh, he, also, he also worked in, in porn. He did. But as of, 
Yeah, Dave Dakota. And at this point, I'm not quite sure what he made. Uh, I'd love to know. So if anybody knows, let us know. Uh, let me know. Um, because I'm really curious. I, I, I wonder if it was straight. Uh, I got a feeling that he, he probably worked on straight porn. Before you never know, because you would never know that I saw from watching those Tim Kincaid films that this guy, Joey Gage, was like apparently a really raunchy gay porn film style guy. I'd heard that afterwards, and then when you mentioned it, kind of rubbing it in, so I told Tim Kincaid. Uh, but you know, I've never seen one of his films, and I don't really care to, but uh, I had no idea. Because you're watching his films, it's just like you know a typical um, bad grindhouse-type film of the era. Uh, so it fits right in. Have you ever in. seen a Joe Gage movie? No, I have not. <laughs> uh, come on. Seriously. Uh not my thing. I mean, you know what I've seen in that respect? Those three that Vinegar Syndrome sent me. What were those? Um who's that guy? Um Well actually four because they had the Walt Davis one that time that uh Widow Blue. Uh but uh he does stuff like Bible, uh what Wakefield Pool. Uh they, they say like Boys in the Sand and Bible and Bijou. So those three and Widow Blue are the only ones that I've ever had to sit through. <laughs> Yeah, Joe no, Gage watched... was the was the I guess more blue collar version of that. Okay. Um, interesting. <laughs> like That's you know, for... if you if you don't have to yeah. review these things and you're not already gay, why would you be watching gay porn? <laughs> Ouch! Uh, no, seriously. Come on. Uh, but anyway, if you don't have to review these things. One day we're going to do a gay porn show, so you'll have to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, we yeah, go I know, on. It's to, too much. Right? Yeah, I was like, wow, I didn't even know what to say to that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we go on to uh, the girl I want. <laughs> yes, we make each other laugh. Uh which, again, is not on DVD, but I wish it was. It's one of those Elizabeth Kaitan jobs with Burt Ward. Uh, Burt Ward did a couple of movies during the early 90s when he was like, kind of big and fat and goofy. Uh, I had Richard Gabay on Third Eye back when, and we talked about two of those because he did two of them with uh, Gabay. And one of them is uh, this one here, The Girl I Want, which I really want to see on disc. And I actually want to see them all. Um, I know one of them, I think, came out, but not the others. I, I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but, you know, again, we've got so many of these kind of movies out on disc. Why not these? Uh, why not Fat Guy Goes Nutsoid, for that matter? Um, it always baffles me what gets released and, you know, the kind of garbage that gets released when stuff that you've seen before, and a lot of people have seen before and have fond memories of how junky they are. Like, okay, here's a fun party film that sucked. And they never make it, so who the hell knows? So anyway, uh, those of you who are listening, anybody out there that wants to release, I think Hot Under the Collar was one. Uh, I forget what its original one was. That uh, they're both Gabby films, both are in Burt Ward, uh, and then The Girl I Want, which is a Dave Dakota. I would love to see all those three on disc. Um, let's see what else. The Puppet Master Three was one of his. Uh, Beach Base from Beyond. We mentioned earlier. Test Tube Teams. We mentioned earlier. Uh, then we get some ones that are actually full moon that are decent. Uh, so we'll, hopefully we'll hit these along the way as we go. Um, let's see. I think one of the first full moon pictures after Puppet Master was something called Shadow Zone, which 
again, weird cast, but I still like the film despite it. Louise Fletcher, who was fucking annoying, she was uh, one of Woody Allen's wives of squeezes, and she was Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, those of you who remember that uh, cult, uh, you know, comedy soap opera back in the uh, early 70s. And during this period, she started doing weird stuff. Like she was in that awful slasher, uh, Blood Rage, Nightmare in Shadow Woods. Horrible, hard to watch her, really bad movie. Uh, And this is much better than that, but the same persona. Wow, talk about a whiny old, you know, what do you call him, Yenta. My God, she is horrid. Um, Yeah, but you always have to read into these things. There's a story. You're nominated for an Academy Award. You give a brilliant, scary performance. Two years later, you're working in shit movies, you know? (laughs) Really, yeah, you know, it's kind of like they, they, so. There's, there's got to be a story to that we don't know about. You know? I could see why Woody ran from her. I mean, she's hideous, uh, and I'm not talking about like physically looks because who cares? That's a different issue. I'm talking about just her persona and her whininess. Like, oh my god, yeah. really hard to watch Louise Fletcher. Anyway, she's in this thing, and James Hong is in this thing. Our perennial uh, Asian all-purpose baddie, um, but. It's interesting because it's this thing about sleep deprivation or whatever the hell, and then they like aliens come through their bodies, so it gets a little bit into alien territory. Uh, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. yeah, it doesn't entirely work, but it's got some fascinating ideas, and some of the stuff is pretty good in it. Um, but this is like the glory days of Falmonia. You got Meridian that came up, uh, which kind of spawned its own. Well, actually, maybe it didn't. Maybe this was the one-off. But I remember there was a couple of them that did spawn series, like uh, the subspecies series, which we get to shortly. Uh, Meridian's yeah. kind of like that. Uh, Sherilyn Fenn, actually, who was in uh, Twin Peaks, was here. Uh, and it's one of those things, once again, they go to a family castle in Italy or whatever the hell. And there's this carnival outside, kind of like Vampire Circus from Hammer, when we talk the Hammer films. Um, and there's a guy there that she falls in love with, but it turns out there's this whole thing, this backstory where she was fated to meet him and some curse. And it really gets crazy. But even though it sounds like sort of a, a cross between a Hammer film and a Lifetime drama, it still works. You know, there's still something about these films that works really well. Um, Crash and Burn, I always liked. Uh, people talk about robot jocks. That one's horrible. Uh, but Crash and Burn does work. It's kind of this tense, uh, futuristic sort of, kind of like along the lines of like Hell Comes to Frogtown or that sort of a thing. You know, this Mad Max-ish, uh, you know, Phoenix the Warrior-ish kind of thing. And this guy winds up going, uh, stops off for gas or whatever, and there's a uh, radio station or television station broadcasting from this one outpost. And it turns out there's this whole thing. They've got one of these giant robots that's there kind of broken down, and there's uh, a cute teenage girl that's all, like, hot to trap for him and uh, it, who's, like, a techie, and she, like, works the uh, the robot and brings it back to life at one point. There's actually a, an Agatha Christie sort of thing going on uh, with, like, a nasty talk show host and his bimbo girlfriends, and all these people are down there with him, you know, trapped underneath during, a, like, a radiation storm or some crap. And it becomes, like I said, it's like a – and then there were none sort of thing, but set – in this sci-fi whatever with a, a robot killer. Uh, it really is good. I enjoy it profusely. And this teenage girl, Megan Ward, really um, – I followed her for a bit after this. She made some really good movies. She was really cute. And, you know, for the first couple of years as she, you know, matured uh, and became legal, she was really kind of hot. And then I don't know what happened to her. She got involved in TV and, you know, got married and got old. <laughs> but during this period in the early 90s, she was uh, definitely somebody I was interested in for a while. Uh, uh, the Puppet Master films we kind of already talked about. 
uh, Pit and the Pendulum, one that doesn't really work. Uh, it's got no. Jeffrey Combs in it. It's got Lance Hamrickson in it, but it borders on Witchfinder General more than it does anything to do with Poe or Corman or whatever. I don't know. Uh, people love it. I really don't see why. I never did. Um, subspecies I had mentioned earlier. Uh, it's this whole cheesy, not quite interview with a vampire, but you know that line of thinking. Like, okay, we have Forever Night was popular. Interview with the Vampire was popular. Um, Buffy was not out for several years yet, but this was one of those sort of vampire soap opera type things that went on for I don't know four or five movies in an offshoot. Uh, I think Maybe the offshoot called the Vampire Diaries or something. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was this guy Radu and this girl who's actually really cute, uh, Denise Duff. Uh, she wasn't in the first one, which is interesting. But I, she I interviewed her. Really? Did you? Was she still cute? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I always have to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, I interviewed her. She was still cute. And actually, yeah, she she wasn't in the first initial sequel, but she appeared in like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, wherever Exactly. She was in most of them, yeah. Um, and Angus Grimm was in this one, too, as the father of Radu. And, you know, basically this is when he starts going – I forget what the director was, but he was actually kind of like a, an Eastern European type. And they started filming over in Romania for a lot of this stuff. I think the Slow Species was the first film they did that way. Uh, and, you know, not only does it give you some interesting locations and obviously it's cheap for them to work, but it lends some authenticity to it because, you know, you're talking about Dracula or effectively, you know, the Dracula legacy. Uh, you know – I don't know that the subspecies films are like fantastic uh, or even like, you know, great for full moon pictures, but I definitely enjoyed the first couple of them. You know, they were definitely more than watchable. I actually remember of all people, my mother was really into the subspecies films back in the VHS days. Um, you know, it's, it's not that bad um, for an ongoing series of movies, which was not common at that time. Uh, this you know obviously we just had Puppet Master started up, but it was not a normal thing to have like you know four and five films, especially if it wasn't like a slasher se- uh, cycle. Uh, they do work pretty well, at least in the beginning. Uh, Trancers, you know, we had mentioned uh, Trancers two now, which is interesting because it had Martine Beswick and Jeffrey Combs in it, and Kelma Hopkins from Tony Orlando and Dawn is in the damn thing, uh, along with Barbara Crampton and Richard Lynch. Uh, and Megan Ward, who walked over from uh, the Crash and Burn film. She's actually in the next two Transfers films as his wife. Uh, this is what I was talking about when he's, she started to mature and get whatever. And I was like, hmm, she's interesting. I kind of like her. Uh, and it's like his ex-wife, which is really his future wife. And a long story going back and forth. Uh, I never really got the Helen Hunt thing. I, I never found her attractive or appealing. She was kind of annoying. Uh, but, you know, Megan Ward I got. So I was like, okay, this works. And plus she was kind of... Um, not a feminist, but you know that kind of proto-tough girl thing that they were just starting at that time, where all of a sudden, instead of being the ah, the 80s girl that always asked for help and you know it's always falling out of pit or whatever, she actually kind of kicked ass. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, let's see, Puppet Master film still going on. Actually, the third one had Sarah Douglas from Superman 2 in it, and Michelle Bauer was in it briefly. But again, you know, not a good one. This is where they started kind of going downhill a bit. Um Dollman, which was an Albert Pyun film. Uh, we could actually probably do a show on his weird stuff as well. Uh, it's Tim Thomerson. They kind of went off the success of Trancers and Trancers 2. 
uh, to make this thing that didn't work at all, where now he, instead of coming from uh, the future and coming back to the past and trying to you know adjust to that and make his way around, now he's from another dimension, and because of that, it turns out he's like you know doll size, he's like you know the size of your hand basically, and he goes to this like Spanish ghetto, he's like in the barrio, and I don't know, it just it, you know oh the South Bronx, that's where he is. It doesn't fucking work at all. People love it, but I'm like nah, nah. Stick with the transfers films. Um, another one of my favorites from this period, not just among full moon pictures, but among pictures per se, Netherworld. I remember watching this a lot. I had a thing for Holly Floria for a while. Uh, she was very much not uh, a Southerner, but she had a cute Southern accent when she put it on for this, Nolan's accent. Uh, Denise Gentile, who was in a couple of these things that period. Uh, basically, this kid goes down and gets uh, – once again, it's an inheritance thing, and it's down south, and it turns out, of course, there's some magical shit going down. And th- this is a weird subplot that made me uncomfortable with a um, – I guess he was a bisexual hick that had a thing for this guy, and somehow he was involved in this. But of course, the the trick of the conceit was that there was this hand that came from wherever the hell, you know, another dimension, and would kill people. And of course, it ends up killing the baddie at one point. Uh, and he becomes part of this family of, you know, what you warlocks, I guess, which, you know, Holly Floor is part of. Um, really interesting. Uh, take on something like if you cross the believers with uh, what was that one that Randy Quaid got famous for with Ellen Barkin? Uh, not Sea of Love, that was Pacino. What was the other one? The Big Easy. If you cross the Big Easy uh, with uh, with uh, the believers, you might have Netherworld. And I thought Netherworld was pretty well, damn good. Dennis I always enjoyed it. Yes, yes, that's great. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, demonic toys that did not work at all. Uh, Seed People was kind of interesting. I remember enjoying that one. It's got some good atmosphere to it. Uh, Bad Channels. There's the one. When I had Ron Keel on the Third Eye Cinema, we talked a bit about this one. I don't know how the fuck he got involved with this film. Uh, he had, at the time, Keel had broken up. This is well after Steeler. Uh, and he was involved, and it was before his country career. Uh, he, Keel had broken up, and he had found this basically all female band that he ended up singing for. You know, he, he was like, okay, well, you, get, you guys go and play the instruments, but you don't have a singer. Why don't I just do it for you? Uh, called Fair Game. And they only appeared on this soundtrack, and I think they had one other single out. But it was pretty good uh, in terms of them. And in terms of the film itself, it's kind of like a comedy. Um, basically, if you picture Weird Al's UHF, but try to make it a little bit more serious and throw in metal bands, you'd have bad channels. Uh, <laughs> Uh, basically, these aliens take over a TV station is the the bottom line here. And of course, there's people like you know fighting off these like goofy looking aliens with fire extinguishers and whatever the hell else. It sounds horrible, and yet if you watch it, you'll probably get a good laugh out of it. And I know I did. Um, Doctor Mordred. Uh, I'm just kind of going through the list. So anything you want to pitch in, go ahead. Uh, Jeffrey Combs. This is the only real Doctor Strange movie since. Of uh, the '77 one or '78 one with Peter Hooten, uh, and even if even if you look up Doctor Strange on the internet and look for a DVD or whatever, you'll find Doctor Mordred right away. Uh, basically, I think they were trying to make a Doctor Strange movie, but decided not to pay for the rights for some reason. So Combs is strange, uh, and it's a little bit weird because he's living in an apartment building, uh, just renting a room. And of course he's been there forever. He actually turns to be the building owner and his room is like the TARDIS. It's a lot bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside and all this crap. And he's got all this mystical crap in there and whatever. But 
you know, he gets a nosy neighbor who's kind of like uh, I used to love, and I mentioned that a couple of times in the past, uh, She Wolf of London. He's kind of like that girl Randy. Uh, I forget what her name is. She become a producer later on. Uh, same idea, and she ends up, you know, figuring out who he is and getting involved in this whole thing where, you know, his, his Baron Mordo analog, who is some big goofy tall guy that kind of reminds me of a bad version of uh, what the hell was his name? Uh, the guy that was involved with Nico Mastarakis's daughter. Jeez. Um, Tall blonde guy, pockmarked face. He was usually a baddie in movies during this time. Uh, he was in some of the rough rock movies as well. He was in Lady Dragon. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, unfortunately. Who's it? Richard Norton? No, no, not Richard Norton. Richard Norton's great. No, this is another fella. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Brian something. Uh, but anyway, he's kind of... Yes, Brian Thompson. That's exactly it. Okay. Uh, so he's it's not him, I don't think, but it's somebody just like him. Uh, so this big, tall, goofy, blonde guy playing basically the Baron Mordo analog, which is strange. And he enlists these two really over-the-top, uh, overage oh, metalheads. Was it? Was he innocent? Okay. Because it's just like him yeah. if it's not. Uh, these two overage, overacting metalhead types, uh, and they're his like whatever. You know, go around. He gives them some power or something to go and steal shit for him. And you know, it's the usual like a Doctor Strange movie should be. Uh, it's just very low budget and in, in, in all but name. Let's put it that way. Uh, so even though it fails in some respects, I always had a strong, strong affection for it because I always loved that character. Um, a little bit uh, trepidatious about this movie, having seen the trailer, but you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm leaving it open <laughs> to uh, wow me. Uh, throw me, as they say, back in uh, Night of the Creeps. Uh, so Trancers 3 then comes up. Uh, Tom Hopkins again, Helen Hunt, Megan Ward, uh, Tim Thomerson. Still, I think and, that's the last good one. Well, I wouldn't say good. It's just, it's it's starting to go downhill with this one. It's okay. Yes. Yeah, but it's the last one that you want to see. After this, you know, don't bother. Um, let's see. What else was there? Oh, Bloodstone is another one. Like I mentioned those. Uh, Arcade was an interesting one, another Megan Ward one, with Peter Billingsley from A Christmas Story, and Seth Green, who uh, people know from stuff like Robot Chicken, and of course Buffy, who's Oz. Um, they hey, have I, this... got a, I, got a, I got a I got a Tim Thomerson story. Go ahead. You remember Brian James from Blade Runner? He, play... <coughs> he played Leon? Okay. The replicant? Yes. And he was in the Fifth Element and uh, Southern Comfort and like thirty other movies. Right. So his, his roommate was Tim Thomerson when he first really? came to New York. Yes. And they were both struggling would-be actors, and they worked for Stella. Stella, what's her name? Actress. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, what the hell was her name? I know exactly who you mean. I still Stevens. She was a, yeah, what do you want to call it? Adler. Agent. Stella Big Adler? agent. Maybe that's it. I think it was, I think it was Stella Adler. And and so Brian James told me that that <laughs> they were like virtual slaves sexually and drug-wise <laughs> and otherwise. Because he, yeah. like he was like a junkie on his last legs. He died shortly after our interview. And, and, and he told me like him and Tim Thomerson, they were just like, it was like this free love, free sex thing, and there was like this seventy-year-old woman who was our, their acting teacher that was very Germanic. And I'm like, really? 
And the best, the best thing is, though, I believed every word of it because if you want somebody to tell you the truth, have it told to you by like a junkie on his last legs. Well, that's true. That that's why people are still kind of wondering about the whole Kurt Cobain thing because yeah, okay, El Duce from the Memphis, yeah, he was a junkie. He was living on this, you know, basically on the train tracks and a tent and all this crap. But you know, hey, who else are you going to hire to go and bump somebody off other than somebody like that? <laughs> Who's going to believe him? So, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, back to this other film here. Um, it's one of those again, like that one sequence with all the great punk music in um, uh, Nightmare, where they've got an arcade game that basically uh, comes to life, if you will, and sucks people inside it. You know, a cheesy, typical teenage. Um, uh, what do you want to call it? Popcorn movie. You know, go on a Friday night with your friends and check this out. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I was got a kick out of it. Um, I thought Braden Clark did that a lot better, actually. Uh, the, the, well, that the was Nightmare, Huh? That was Nightmare, wasn't it? The Braden Clark one? No, no, that was uh, Joysticks. Oh! <laughs> yeah, well, nobody got sucked into that one. That was just a great Joe Don Baker movie. I love Joysticks. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but no, but it's... it's, it's and the video light. <laughs> yeah, it's a slightly similar thing going on there, and... That was fun. I enjoyed that movie. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that, yeah, yeah. very different. Uh, and it was a little earlier, too. That was more like 83 or something. It was like 93 we were talking already. Um, Bands start seeing that these ideas of making films that can become series, like The Puppet Master, like Trancers, uh, like Subspecies, can you know, obviously be a kind of a cottage industry. So now he does another one that fails called Mandroid, which later spawns The Invisible, The Chronicles of Benjamin Knight. All right, the first one isn't that bad. It just feels very incomplete. It's barely half a movie. Uh, and when you get to the second half, it just completely goes down the crapper. Uh, it's it's weird. You know, the one guy's like in a wheelchair, and then, of course, he ends up taking over this robot body, and then the other guy becomes invisible, and they're fighting these Romanians, and I don't know. It, it's just, this is when the cracks start to show already. We're getting close to that 95 point. Uh, he does Dollman versus Demonic Toys, two bad movies that taste even worse together. Uh, and actually, most of the movie is flashbacks of Dollman and Demonic mm-hmm. Toys, and bad channels. So he throws them all in there. Uh, Puppet Master 4, uh, Trancers 4. This is when it really starts going down the toilet when he goes into the, the fantasy land. Uh, Bloodlust, which is subspecies 3. Uh, he starts doing weird things like Oblivion, which is made for kids. Uh, it's kind of like a Disney-esque sci-fi western. Terrible. Um, but then you get something like, it's okay, it's not good, but it's definitely interesting, like Shrunken Heads, uh, which is... Uh, the brother of Danny Elfman, you know, from Oingo Boingo, who became the shitty uh, composer later on, uh, like Batman and all that. Uh, his brother uh, became the director for this, and Elfman, you know, the, the one we were just talking about, did some of the music for the movie. Uh, and the rest of it, of course, is Richard Band. Basically, it's one of these things where a, a street gang goes and kills some other kids, and this voodoo priest goes and reanimates them, but, you know, just the shrunken heads. And who's in this thing as the voodoo priest? Julius Harris from uh, – we were talking about the black exploitation film several shows back. Uh, he was in, like, uh, the Black Caesar sequel there. What the hell was that one? He actually took over the mob. He was uh, the Harlem. Hammer's father. Uh, yeah, Hell Up in Harlem. That's yep. it. Yep. Meg Foster's in this, who I remember from The Wind, from Nico Mastarakis. Uh, again, another great interview. 
I heard. I heard that. Uh, but mm-hmm. at the time, she was a hottie. And, you know, she was going to do stuff like Evil Inn for the uh, Masters of the Universe uh, film. And that was people still talk about that one, too, even though it was a bad movie. Uh, that we talk about with the Canon films. And, again, another interview you want to check out. Uh, go ahead and check out the interview with Nico Masarakis for Third Eye. Loads of fun. Lots of great anecdotes. He's a funny guy. Um, we mentioned Test Tube Teens. Ghoulies 4 is the Wynorski one. We talked about that. Uh, Lurking Fear. Here's one with uh, Vincent Chiavelli, that weird-looking guy that was in stuff like um, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And here he's like a mortician. <laughs> and, you know, this is whole thing. Yes, he was. You're right. Uh, and somehow Jeffrey Combs gets involved, and they're all looking for this map, trying to find treasure. And of course, it goes into Lovecraft territory because there are a family of you know uh, subhuman, devolved uh, uh, family basically living underground. They're like you know ghouls. Uh, John Finch is in the damn thing from uh, Hitchcock's Frenzy, among other things. Um, Dark Angel: The Ascent. I always really liked this one. This was kind of like. A very, I hesitate to say sexy, but it kind of was. It, it poured it on erotic in a lot of points, and a really cute redhead in the lead. And basically, she is a demoness from hell, but she doesn't want to be. And she comes up and falls in love with this guy uh, that she's supposed to be, you know, basically seducing to death or whatever, uh, to commit evil sins or hell kind of bullshit to say. And of course, it goes in reverse because she falls for him. Uh, I always really liked this film, and I remember I was watching it one time uh, not that long ago, probably about eight years ago, and I had an electrician work out in the house, and he actually stopped what he was doing to watch it. He said, "Oh, what's this?" <laughs> So it's a good movie. I, I do enjoy it for what it is. Oh, uh, it's the same thing when I had a plumber one time and I was watching the Vanessa Del Rio movie. <laughs> wow, is that a is that a quadruple in, insertion? I said, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, this isn't a porno, but yeah, okay. Uh, same I'm idea. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Uh, so although you see. laughed like you believed me, <laughs> I did. I, you know, I was like, I wouldn't put it past you, maybe in a sleaze. Uh, Feel <laughs> working on his house. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, the Puppet Master series continues. The Transfer series starts to die its death. Uh, Hunter's Spirit of the Night is another one of those ones that was kind of interesting. I think it was one of the Torchlight ones. Uh, again, pushing the boundaries a little bit more eroticism, but still the same kind of thing. You know, a girl finds out basically that she's not a werewolf, but like a, a cat woman or some shit. But it's got nice atmosphere, and it's fun, and the girl's pretty. It's very watchable. Uh, they do Castle Freak, which I always hated. Uh, it was yeah. the first the Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton films that was like, wow, this film sucked. Because before that, they were all good. And I was like, wow. Uh, and... Basically, it's depressing as shit because the whole story starts off with uh, Combs and Trampton are married, and their one son is blind, and their daughter, and the other one got killed in a car crash. It was all his fault because he was a drunk or something, and they're ready to get divorced, but he inherits that castle, kind of like Demons 3 the Ogre, and he's got like a monster relative chain in the basement. He's, again, like kind of retarded and stuff, and there's like murders going on, and he gets blamed for them by the cops. He brings a hooker down there, but the brother kills him. It's like, this, this is horrible, and it ends with depressing thing on the roof where they both die and like really really bad it was, it was the first big failure in uh that the career of those you know three or four people that work together um but people like it for some reason i don't know why and during this period all of a sudden like i said this is when it starts changing and it's no longer being funded by uh paramount so 
now you start getting crap. You know, he does more Oblivion movies. He does stuff like, you know, Josh Kirby, Time Warrior, Chapter 2 through 17, and, uh, you know, Magic of the Mirror, Petticoat Planet. What is this crap? Uh, Head of the Family, which is, okay, it's trying to be a full moon picture, but it doesn't really work. Uh, there's something with this giant head, and they're, they're, everybody's got, like, uh, they were quintuplets or something in this house, and they're, of course they're all rich or some shit. And everyone's got something weird about them. You know, like one's supposed to be like pretty, and she seduces people that are coming up there. Another one's, uh, you know, they've got a giant head, and there's like, I don't know. It's just, it, it's it's really fucked up. I do not like it. I do not recommend it. It's the first it, of all the films we talked about. It's the first one I say, nah, don't go anywhere near this piece of shit. Um, Vampire Journals, I mentioned that was kind of the offshoot. All of a sudden now it's like, okay, we don't have old people like Ash or whatever, so we're going to go off and do a side story about other vampires, and later we'll bring them back in and relate them, and they'll kill each other off because we don't know what to do with them. Really stupid. Um, Hideous, which is sort of a crust between Head of the Family and one of those earlier ones. Parts of it work uh, because, again, they got Pretty Girl involved with it. And I remember this scene in the library was pretty kind of spooky, and there was a, a thing where they got uh, – basically they have girls in a cage, you know, like strippers or whatever the hell, and they uh, they get these people that – No, they weren't, but you know, it's it's definitely a watchable, fun kind of junk film uh, despite its title. Uh, the Creeps, which is similar – or maybe this is the one with the library one. Uh, where they're kind of going off the success of Monster Squad, you know, because they've got uh, apparently there's an original manuscript of uh, Mary Shelley's Prometheus, which is you know became Frankenstein, um, and there's like this guy there and he's trying to like steal it or whatever, and they chase him down, and yeah, in the meantime this guy brings all these monsters to life, so you've got like a Dracula and a Frankenstein and whatever the hell, a Wolfman I think. But it's not cheesy like Monster Squad. As stupid as it sounds, it actually works in parts. Uh, again, this is you know Full Moon. This is the way they operated. You know, it looks better, it feels better than it sounds, or the way you think it's going to be. Um, here's another Dave Dakota Shrieker. Uh, basically, yeah. Tanya Dempsey, who pops up in a lot of these things, uh, she's involved with a bunch of squatters uh, because it's like the, obviously it's a lot cheaper to squat than it is to go and pay for like you know college dorms or whatever uh, so they're staying there and apparently there is a legend about the place where and the reason that it was banned in the first place is there was a murderer who like you know, the shrieking whatever the hell a shrieking killer or something and somebody there which of course turns out to be one of the students is like you know involved in witchcraft or hunting decides you know let me bring this guy back to life and of course you know murders ensue and you know again despite the fact that it sounds ridiculous it kind of works it's, it's effective it's a lot of atmosphere in films of this uh period let's say uh, especially the dakota ones because this is the point where everything full moon's putting out is really questionable but the dakota ones are getting stronger and stronger which is interesting um Talisman, he does another one. His. This is actually the beginning of where he was going to go with Rapid Heart. This is when you start noticing all of a sudden that something's a little off here. And then it's okay, well, it's getting kind of homoerotic. Uh, basically, there's this whole thing about, you know, a, uh, it's a talisman, basically. And they give it to this kid. And of course, he's supposed to, he's supposed to complete a ritual, bring back some demon from hell or whatever hell. But. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the one where they're involved in like a, a, a boys' school. It's an all boys' school, and that's where this stuff starts coming in. It's a little like, hmm, what's going on here? Uh, but still, the atmosphere works. It works as a straight up uh, shot on video sort of, even though it's not shot on video, horror film of that period, low budget horror of that period. 
Um, what else do we got here? There's another subspecies, Killer Eye, which is another Dakota. Uh, let's see. This guy, he tries to go into another dimension, and uh, he, him or his assistant or somebody, they lose one of their eyes, and the eye becomes like a giant monster. But it gets kind of bad because you know, the, the monster is horny, so it's like this giant eye that wants to do whatever. It's, yeah, it's questionable. But moments of it do work. Um, the Witch House movies start with here. Uh, those of you who are into SOV, uh, one of the uh, how say leading lights. So some of you recognize from SOV is this girl Ariana Albright. Uh, she popped up in this one, uh, and also one of the cast members actually got killed right after the film wrapped. So it's kind of like, ooh, is it the curse of the Witch House? Yeah, bullshit. But you know, nonetheless, uh, it leaves it kind of questionable. Uh, Shapeshifter was another one of these with Ariana Albright. Uh, Blood Dolls comes up around this time. Uh, which is kind of, once again, going back to the same territory as Hideous and the Creeps and Head of the Family. Uh, Totem, which is another Dakota. This is a weird one because you take the idea of Shrieker, right? And now they're all out in some cabin, you know, with a weird, like, you know, mystical barrier around. Nobody can get out of it. It's almost like a nightmare thing because nobody knows why they're there, why they can't get out. And in the middle of this uh, thing, they've got like a graveyard with a giant totem pole in it, of course, and this becomes part of the thing. Again, the plots don't make much sense. There's really not a hell of a lot going down, but it's all about the atmosphere. And, you know, if you're into this kind of stuff, they really do work surprisingly well. Um, he started tapping a little bit into um, more urban markets at this point. So you get things like Ragdoll and uh, the, the Horrible Mr. Bones or Dr. Bones, where, you know... All of a sudden, now it's all black cast, and you know these kids are aspiring, whatever. They're either just like you know ghetto kids, and one of them's getting shot, and then they gotta go revenge through voodoo or whatever. Or uh, and the Killjoy films start coming up soon too. Same idea. Uh, or they are you know aspiring rappers, and then you know somebody's gonna use their rap tunes or something that give vibrations to do mind control on people, or. Uh, they're going to go out to a cabin, almost like a slasher film. And, uh, you know, there's always some kind of trope, but somehow they're always all black cast. And, you know, again, it works in the same respect that any other film like this would work, except that, you know, you've got more, you know, what do you, boo, 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 shit going on the soundtrack. <laughs> Otherwise, it's the same deal. Um, what else do we got around this point? Uh, I mentioned Killjoy. That was one with the evil clown. Uh, that you know, basically, you have to call him back for the dead. It's almost like that. Uh, what was the one where you had to repeat it three times? Not Candyman, but same idea as that. And of course, you know, the, the guy is trying to get his girlfriend, and he gets uh, shot up by the, the gangsters. That's because he's like a gangster bitch, and uh, that's how he gets his revenge by calling up this demon clown. And they have to have him seek left or seek left, which of course keep getting weaker. But you know, they, they're watchable for what they are, at least the earlier ones. Um. Then you're really getting into the questionable stuff. This is when you get things like – I think the last good thing they did, if you want to call it good, was 2005. He does Decking and Evil, which was a stripper film done full moon style where this like uh, – it's a foot-tall homunculus named Marvin, uh, and it's in prison in a bird cage, and it's, this girl's trying to become like the world's most powerful vampire. It makes no fucking sense. Uh, it's just an excuse to show like skanky strippers or whatever, and then like stuff we mentioned at the beginning, like Evil Bong and Ginger Dead Man and all this stuff, is just does not work at all. But you know, during a certain period, and especially involved with Dakota, Dakota stuff, there's a lot of decent stuff in there. Stuff is at least worth watching. 
And from this point on, sometime around you know 2000 or so, this is when Dakota starts making his own rapid heart stuff. So you get things like you know Voodoo Academy uh, and the Brotherhood films, which I've seen at least the first two of, uh, the Sisterhood. Um, you know, they get very more openly homoerotic. Nothing. It's not like gay porn or something like that. It's just. You start seeing a lot of guys going around, and their their hair's a little bit too clean cut, and they tend to take their shirts off. And there's a lot of guys walking around in really clean white underwear. It's like these people never wear this fucking underwear. How's it? It's like right out of the bag. Uh, but apparently, this is a big they thing. They got big dicks. Come on, you know. Well, we, it's, it's hopefully we're not too. seeing that. <laughs> we're not seeing that. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's obvious there's a white underwear. Come on. These guys are all walking around this perfect friggin' white underwear right out of the bag. And my wife's like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's Dave Dakota, so I mean, I guess he's, you know, following his interests. Uh, but you know, I discovered later from watching a bunch of these films that, oh, yeah, this is a big thing with the gay market. They're really hot on, like, guys walking around in clean white underwear. I don't know. Uh, whatever. But, you know, you'll notice well, I'm sure that. the girls don't mind, too. Come on. Uh, who knows? But you'll notice that more and more as you get into not so much in the '90s, but more towards like 2000, 2005, and when he starts doing well, rapid heart per se, let, you'll let see me, more and more. Let of me this. let you in on something. Cougars like guys in white, tidy white underwear. <laughs> okay. It's a thing. It's a thing with older chicks. I don't. Not, get it. not guys our age, but like young, young, you know, young guys. That's why they're cougars. We had generations of, at least, you know, people that we know making fun of anybody, obviously girls, but even guys like in the locker room shit making fun of someone over in tidy whiteies. And it's like the equivalent of wearing underwears. You know, like, why are you wearing this shit? For example, I'm going to I'm gonna go on a, a tangent right now. I go to the gym once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. I, I try to get back on track after my, my sudden sickness. And I see a guy in the gym with tidy white underwear, you know, like fucking briefs. I yeah. go, what are you wearing, man? Nobody wears shit like that. Yeah? yeah well, really? that's, I, that's the thing. I mean, people go commando. Uh, some people, you know, are, are back in that retro thing, and they get like the whatever the hell, the, the ones you get in the tube, like the colored underwear or whatever the hell. Uh, most like, people go oh, for yeah, like boxer shorts. Colored underwear is cool, man. Come yeah, on. Pe- most people but, go for like boxer shorts and things like that. I, I you like know, tidy whiteys. Is like I don't know. I mean, obviously it's this thing for the game market, and you're telling me it's for the the Cougars as well. Weird looking, the weird looking. You know, like yeah, when like, you're, like for example, when you're in a gym and you just come out showering, and some guy comes out and he's putting on white underwear. I'm like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my only guess is that it's some kind of thing showing that you're clean, like you don't have any shit stains or something. Like, why would you want to wear something like that? It's so you know, you're like a little kid, and I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like I said, it reminds me of wearing an underwears. It reminds me of wearing right. underwears. That's the kind of thing. When you grew up, you wore that stuff. Of course, everybody right. did. And that's the thing you grew out. I was like, oh god, that guy, I'm like a five year old. They want to wear this shit. But apparently, some people are into this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know, but when you get to this period of Dave Dakota films, you'll see a whole lot of white underwear. That's all I can tell you. And really clean. It's never been worn. Like, okay. uh, and, of course, you know. And, you the, get... and the aforementioned impressions of, you know, what? And so this is why he makes these things. And you get a whole bunch of scenarios where uh, an older or more experienced or more uh, powerful on a click or whatever guy will take a new guy or a young guy or a naive guy under his wing 
And you know, even my wife is a little bit more whatever about this stuff. Is like, this is a little. I don't know. Is this is this kind of gay? I'm like, well, yeah, it probably is. I mean, I'm picking that up. So, uh, <laughs> so it's some sort of a thing that comes out more and more. I would imagine if you were you know, more of an aficionado of rapid heart films per se, that's probably what he's doing 24 seven now, and maybe even more blatantly. I have no idea. But I mean, you know, I have I'll- seen the first two Brotherhood films. I have seen um, Voodoo Academy, and I have seen The Sisterhood, which is kind of like the, if you will, the lesbian version of you know, The Brotherhood. Uh, and you know, I found them all pretty entertaining. They were very much in line with what he was doing for Full Moon. Uh, it's just he's more free to follow his obsessions. So you know, I, I'm not going to keep digging and find more of them necessarily, but I wouldn't run from them. Somebody showed them to me either. I was entertained by the ones I saw. So uh, what were you going to say? Well, I, I wanted to make a point that, personally, I, I find no problem with homoeroticism in genre hey, whatever. films. I mean, not... <laughs> but, like, as, as far back as uh, Horror of Dracula, Christopher Lee, and the uh, guy who played John Harker, Rides of Dracula, mm-hmm. with uh, 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 Peter Cushing, and Baron uh, von Meister, and, uh, yeah, vampirism is the that thing pops up a lot. And a lot of these movies do have vampiric themes, that's for sure. Yeah. And you're right, because vampirism has always been kind of questionable. Even, I mean, obviously it was more blatant with the lesbianism, going back to Lafano with Carmilla. When the hell was that published? In the 1890-something? But, you know, that was there. The Harker thing was there in Dracula, which is in, you know, 1860, or Holly published 1880. Uh, And... You know, it's always been a thing for people that wanted to explore um, – what do you want to call it? Uh, gender blending, I guess, uh, or a uh, a third sex like Milligan talked about, you know, trisexuality or whatever uh, because, you know, you, you just look at the interview with the vampire, all the Anne Rice books. She was very into that, man. more so than the films. Actually, the books are a little more disturbing if that bothers you. Uh, the whole thing with like Armand and uh, Louis and, all, you know, it gets really – Hmm. Well, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, you kinda, if you're straight, you're reading this like, I don't know about this part, but okay, whatever. <laughs> Let's move on to the other parts. Uh, but it's always kind of well, in well, there. You're, you're a big, you're a big Doc Savage fan, correct? Oh yes, I am. So, do, did you read the Philip Jose Farmer books? I had read the one that he's where he wrote it like as if Doc Savage is a real person, the one about his life story, uh, and that was well, enough for me. That was ridiculous. There was one with Doc Savage and Tarzan being being lovers. <laughs> okay. I never saw that. I had nope. it for one. I thought you were going to talk about Monk and Ham because that was always kind of questionable to me. I was like, yeah, okay, I get that no. they're buddies, but they're a little too like, oh, wait, I, I've got a pig that I'm going to name Habeas Corpus. No, I'm pissed off at that, so I'm going to get a monkey because you know your name's Monk and you look like a monkey, and I'm going to name him Ham or whatever the hell it was. You know, no, wait, chemistry, that was it because he was a chemist. Uh, and it's like, really, 24-7, they're just going to be fighting with each other? Like, even Doc yells them all the time, all right, enough of your problems here. You guys are always going at each other. And it gets beyond just being like, you know, friends busting each other's balls to being like, what the hell? Is there something going on here? What's with these two? <laughs> and they have like, you know, contests, like who's getting more girls or something. Like, I don't know. It's just well, hiding something. Jose Farmer, he wrote like three or four books, and uh, there was very weird. And I, I think the, the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate hated him. And the, uh, <laughs> well, that's probably why. The Ken, uh, Ken Robeson estate hated him. And uh, they were they were imprinted. On uh, paperback form, uh, uh, 
briefly survived uh, Penthouse Press, I think. Right. Um, Dare Brothers Strange. It's but, kind no, of like I, the theme of what we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I was not familiar with those at all. I Like I said, I read that one that was like, you know, Doc Savage's Life as a Man or whatever. I'm like, man, this kind of sucked. And that was it. <laughs> I never bothered with another one. You know, for me, the Doc Savage stuff was Lester Dent, and that was really it. Uh, you know, one of the real writers behind the Ken Robeson name. Uh, just kind of like the spider was always Norval Page. You, know, you, you could tell when other people were writing it because you know the writing style changes and the story just doesn't feel right. So uh, Farmer was just kind of strange to me. So anyway, uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about Full Moon or Dakota or anything? Because you know, obviously, just going through this huge list of films and trying to get through them quickly, I kind of dominated the show here. So uh, you know, is there anything you wanted to uh, cover or touch on that well, you didn't already mention? Well. Well, no. Uh, I mean, um, well, there's there's a couple of things. Uh, just briefly, Nakoto uh, has a uh, he's got three things going on now since he's had the past six years. Um, he's developed a series in the thirteen thirteen sub banner, okay. where he's made movies, uh, DVD, uh, Wicked Stepbrother, Actor Slash Model, Boy Crazies, Hey, <laughs> um, Cougar Cult. <laughs> UFO Invasion, Billy the Kid, these are all the aforementioned um, young uh, like guys in good shape with tight one, white underwear. I mean, things that don't interest you or not. But surely might interest some of our listeners. So let's not. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> hey, if recently, there's a lot of it in there. <laughs> there's a lot of it in there. And recently, he, he developed the 666 series. I don't know what these are. Um, but, like his fellow sleazemeister, Fred Olin Ray, um, who has a uh, very prolific career uh, using one of his pseudonyms working for Lifetime TV, <laughs> Dave Dakota also works for Lifetime TV making children's films and uh, women in peril movies. Wow. So if you want to see another another level of Dakota and Fred Olin, a name that pops up on occasion on that show, <laughs> um, just tune into any any freaking Lifetime uh, show and you'll recognize the dead giveaway, the cast that appears in other Dakota and Fred Olin Ray movies. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah, that's a dead giveaway. And... um they're actually better than the crap they're doing on DVD and, and cable. <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, like, you know, we could do Fred on Ray sometime, but he's another one that's devolved kind of like Full Moon, where everything he does now is big-titted stripper films that border on softcore, you know, going beyond softcore even, with like these lesbian girls going and you know, making it with each other. I'm like, all right, this okay, I guess, but who gives a shit? If you're going to watch porn, just watch it. We're going to fucking porn all. You know, this kind of sucks. <laughs> and these girls are skanks. <laughs> Yeah, the past two years, he's been doing very, very well uh, with uh, Lifetime stuff. Okay. You know, like Christmas movies, you know. <laughs> very, very charming. I, it's funny. I talked to him once, and he was telling me about, he's like, you know, my biggest is, is it really, is it my wife? I saw that. He goes, really? I said, yeah, I just, I just recently saw that. And so, uh. But Dakota was doing that too, and you know more power to them. Yeah, whatever. I, they're guys that work. You know that's the thing though. 
you know, as opposed to the old days when people just work, 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 work to make some money. Now they they're they're churning out stuff to feed their own id, stuff to feed their own core audiences, like the the guys with the white on the <laughs> stuff to, to feed the cougar audiences, that, and I'm sure they, I don't know, I like Bruce Dwindley. And then, <laughs> there's stuff to feed the ready-made cable audiences, you know, which is like, you know, they're probably prostituting themselves by doing stuff like, hockey, the dog gets lost for a week, you know, you know <laughs> that kind of, you know. But, you know, um, I'm sure people watch it and enjoy it, so, you know. <laughs> making money. That's it. And when you get down to this level of filmmaking, it always was about exploitation and just, you know, jobbing actors and jobbing directors trying to make a buck. I mean, look at, we always talk about Klaus Kinski. The guy was a money whore. He didn't care what he showed up in. Hey, you want to put him in a lifetime special? Go ahead. You know, he might do a rant saying it's Jesus Christ or something trying to fuck every girl on the set. But, you know, he would do it. <laughs> and, you know, you put him in a Western, put him in a comedy. He didn't give a shit. He'd show up for the five minutes, give him a couple hundred dollars and let him molest some girl and he'd leave. <laughs> So these people, like that's see, what they I like. Oh, no, I don't want to see that, but I like to see Kinski in a Lifetime movie. That's what this stuff is all about. And so nowadays, you know, the people that are still, you know, the, the legacy of the exploitation director, hey, you know, you got to make a living somehow. Not all of them just kind of stop dead. They they move on to something else. I mean, the Joe Gage there apparently gave up his Tim Kincaid thing, but I understand that he went back to doing pornos. I don't know if it's what he's doing nowadays, if he's still alive, but uh, that was kind of like a brief interlude where he was making straight films. He made the money he made from it and just left, so... Hmm. So they will have to find out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> next week we have what? All right. Well, next week we are still doing a Wednesday show because of your uh, concert schedule and whatever else. Uh, so we will be doing the uh, final take into Spanish horror. We've already spoken at length in prior episodes to Jess Franco, El Hombre Lobo, Paul Nashi, and director of The Blind Dead, Amado de Soria. Tonight, we're, or next week, we're going to be filling in the gaps in the short-lived but much below Spanish horror scene. So kicking off with a quick diversion, uh, well, we aren't going to do that. We'll touch on everyone from Nashi collaborators, Leon Kamowski, Carlos R. Red, and Javier Aguirre, to the likes of Eugenio Martin, who did Count of the Devil on Horror Express, Jorge Grau, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, Eloy de Iglesia, your favorite cannibal man, uh, Narciso Ibanez Serrador, uh, Who Can Kill a Child, The House of Screams, uh, Jose Larraz, Vampires, Black Candles, uh, Vincente Aranda, uh, Blood Spattered Bride, Claudio Garin, uh, Bell from Hell, uh, and Pieces, Slugs, and Pod People Helmsman, Juan Piquer, Simone, and many more. So join us next week. Show. Final exploration of the grim world of Spanish horror, only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. Uh, so, anything else you wanted to chat about since we finished early once again? No, no, I think I think good. I hope you all enjoyed listening to the show. Now, um, go on about your own things that you do, and uh, well, yeah, please tune in next Wednesday—not Thursday, but next Wednesday—for our continuation of Spanish horror. And it sounds like a fun one. It sounds like a fun one. There's some people I definitely fucking hate. <laughs> but we will, we will discuss it in a purely adult manner. And there are some people I really, really like. And I know you are not too thrilled with some of them. So yeah. well, it'll be an interesting show. And um, again, thanks for coming. Not that way. 
In the figure, please. No, wow, that, that David Soto thing. stuff really got to you, huh? Yeah, yeah. I have to find white underwear. No, thanks for coming onto the internet and and listening to the show. And, well, and hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, your parting words? Uh, my parting words. Well. Uh, <laughs> Go watch the Joe Gage film. I don't know. <laughs> no, you're going to say after that. <laughs> Go buy some white underwear. I don't know. Uh, underwears are fun to right. wear. Uh, <laughs> right, we will see you next week. Yes. Uh, and not wearing white underwear. <laughs> yeah. Here we go to the out, if I can find it after all that. Good Lord. Uh, all right, there it is. <laughs> Alright, so thanks for joining us tonight for our amusing uh, sideline conversation of white uh, underwear and God knows what else. <laughs> Next week, join us on Wednesday for our discussion on Spanish tomorrow. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, join us on our new Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash weirdscenes1 or at weirdscenes1, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com or facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1. Weirdscenes1 the gold mine brought to you by the Big Problem Online Network. I'm Bob Fulbright. number one number two employee leave a message at the hey jamie it's me jamie this is your daily pep talk i know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group mad harmony but you will bounce back i mean you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the name your price tool it should be you giving me the pep talk now get out there hit that high note and take mad harmony all the way to nationals this year sorry it's pitchy progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law